Hi, everyone, and welcome to Living a Legacy. And I'm going to introduce first our host, Eric Couch. Eric, how are you? And I know we hey, have we only a short little time with this interview compared to our longer ones. So introduce our guest. I know you're excited. So today we have Judge Janine Pirro, American TV host, author. Today we're going to be talking about her brand new book, Don't Lie to Me and Stop Trying to Steal Our Freedom. Judge Janine, welcome to the show. Well, it's nice to be with you guys. How are you? We're doing great. You're great. Fantastic. You're great. I got my sticker on my shirt right now that says, I voted in Dallas County. So, Fantastic. Um, I'm so you know, proud just, of you. I can't say which side I voted on, but we're working to drain that swamp. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I'll be well, the I'll be the, uh, I'll be the one that's not saying that. Go ahead, Eric, with your first question. Well, I got to tell you, first of all, I love Texas, and in fact, I'm even in Waco, Texas, on Sunday for a Faith and Freedom uh, Coalition event. So, uh, oh, you great. know, I'm I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you guys. So, uh, all is well in the kingdom, uh, except Joe Biden is trying very hard to make sure that everybody ignores the fact that his son was running around Europe and uh, Russia and China and raising money on his father's name and of course that's all fake news but uh you know they're gonna they're just gonna make sure that everyone ignores it and that the rest of us stay in the dark on that kind of crazy times well it is crazy right so i mean we've got we've got when you say russia hoax now it's getting to the point of which one right are we talking about the one where we had an impeachment are we talking about are we talking about the one with, you know, uh, what, three, is it three and a half million dollars, 3.4 million? Yes. I've kind of seen, uh, either way, that's, that's a chunk of change. Right. Um, you know, so the question is with, you know, having, having had it proven that, you know, there wasn't a Russian hoax going on with Trump and now having evidence that, um, you know, that there is with, you know, the collusion and then, you know, uh, tapping Trump's lines and, and proving all of that, much less the most recent one. You know, what are your thoughts on why haven't there been charges and arrests or anything like that? And, and do you expect there to be? Well, you know, it, as you know, I've been a prosecutor and judge and a DA for over three decades. And, uh, yeah. the, you know, I, I'm disappointed like everyone else that there hasn't been a case we've heard about over the last four or five years, you know, whether it's the Clinton Foundation, which to me was an organized criminal enterprise parading around as a 501c3 uh, charitable foundation, or the fact that Comey, McCabe, Strzok, and everyone else are still, you know, walking around free. And in the end, it appears that the uh, Durham, the prosecutor, is saying, look, I'm not going to do anything until after the election. Well, you know, that's really kind of you, but the American people are losing faith. And if I, you know, I can't lose faith because I gave too much of my life to the system. And for me to believe that nothing will come of this pretty much means that I spent 30 years for no good reason. So, you know, hope springs eternal. I'm trying very hard to be optimistic. I think the Department of Justice is trying very hard to make sure that they do something, you know, that doesn't appear political. But uh, it, what the Democrats did with uh, the president every day incoming and lying to us, which is why I wrote the book, Don't Lie to Me and Stop Trying to Steal Our Freedom, indicates that they'll lie and lie and yes. lie and there's no accountability 
uh, and uh, you know, I just it's it's frustrating, and I know it's frustrating for the president. And you know, he's got to he's got to wait for the Department of Justice to do what they're going to do. And if they say they're waiting until after the election, well, you know, he he doesn't have much choice. It's a travesty of justice yeah. to know that. And Eric, that frustrates me beyond belief, and I know it does you because again, another right. thing that. Biden has lied about. We all know about Biden lying on debates with uh, Governor Palin back in the day when saying he was at a certain restaurant that was closed for eight years. So we know he has that ability to lie. Well, Well, without a Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, changing the subject a little bit, but not really. This is a question brought up by by a friend of mine. I I post questions on Facebook of when we're going to interview someone and ask them, and I thought this was a really good one. A lot of other people did as well. So um, Jeremy said, I think there's enough sensible law abiding people on both sides to prevent any kind of any sort of catastrophic unrest. But but what are what are uh, Judge Pirro's thoughts on the talk of civil war after the election and what potential legal consequences could be used against those in office who encourage such an uprising? Well, you know, it's a frightening thought and it, it is a very yeah, it's a very sobering thought. Uh, you know, when I interviewed the president a few weeks ago, I, I said to him, you know, there is talk of a great deal of uh, um, anger in the event on election night uh, you win or even if someone isn't uh, uh, announced as a winner. Uh, and he said to me, we'll tamp it down right away. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, we'll tamp it down. When I pushed him again, he said, insurrection, Janine. Uh, and insurrection is very, very clear. It yeah. is the, uh, you know, it is using uh, everything within his power to make sure this ends. Look, the president is not happy. I know the president for over 30 years. He is not happy with what's going on in this country. And as the Democrats, you know, lie to us and, and shut the country down, uh, you know, they're, they're also, you know, locking us in our houses and, you know, opening the borders and then defunding the police. And then they want to take away our guns. Well, none of that works for me. And I suspect none of it works for people in Texas either. But no, the, even the, though the, all of us had a horrible boating accident and our guns are at the bottom of a lake. But <laughs> um, well, the, the truth is that he is frustrated with this, and, yeah. but he will put it down. Right now, it's the Democrats who are in charge of the chaos. Joe Biden is nothing more than a Trojan horse for the left. He is he's in he's in favor of of, of the Harris administration. He said it himself. And that yeah. Kamala Harris said the Harris administration. Sometimes when you say who you are, you need to believe people when they say who they are. Right. So I think the president, you don't have to worry about it on election night or any night after that. Then it's, you know, it's no more games at that point. The left wants to blame it on the president. And I think the American people are smart enough to know that this is these are the anarchists, the socialists, the Marxists, Black Lives Matter, the organization that want to tear down everything about America. We can't speak freely. If you speak in a way that's not politically correct, you can lose your job. You know, if, if exactly. you know, they let us buy booze and drugs and, and weed, but you can't go to church. Well, who are you to tell me exactly. I can't go to church or synagogue or a house of worship is none of your darn business. And then Kamala Harris says the Constitution doesn't stop her from confiscating our guns. I mean, these people hate America. The people who are burning down the streets and they say anti-America, you know, chop, chaz and all that. This is these are not people who love the country and love our flag. You know, so it's interesting when you're saying all this stuff, because when I hear this, I say I'm trying in a lot of ways not to say certain things, Judge Neen, because I have 
uh, I have a business plus I have all this radio stuff and I am not like to the point where I can speak my freedom of what my freedoms are, what I truly believe. Right. And it's so right. frustrating. It's so frustrating because we used to have dialogue, Republicans and Democrats. What has happened, Judge Jeanine, with that? Well, what has happened is the left has decided in a very short period of time what is permissible and what isn't. It's no longer about negotiation and dialogue. You know, if you recall, right. it was just over four years ago that Bernie Sanders said, I'm a Democrat socialist. And everybody went, oh. But now, four years later, everybody's matter. a socialist, you know, and that shows you how quickly. And by the way, this didn't all just happen with George Floyd on May 25th. By the way, when America came together and said, never should that kind of thing happen again in this country. Never. We all agreed. It was a beautiful moment. And that Black Lives Matter, the organization came in and they started burning and protesting. And if your business wasn't shut down from the pandemic, it was shut down from the protests. We have to be able able to go to work. The left doesn't want us. This is a very clear division in this country. The left doesn't want us to work. They want us hidden in our in our, in our basements. They want to give us a little pittance, tell us when we can go to the supermarket, watch the news and, uh, you know, open the borders and, and make sure there are no police around. Huh. This is socialism, guys. Yeah, it's it, here. Yeah. The divide is crazy. It is All right. Here. All right. Next question, Eric. So. As we are, as we're looking at, at everything going on right now, one of the things that you just mentioned a minute ago was, you know, taking guns. And, and when I was looking at Biden's website, it specifically says, you know, in the section about guns and it says, you know, they could take guns or they restrict guns. But it says if you ever receive a, not a felony, but a misdemeanor hate crime, which is still a very loose definition, that that not only if you had a misdemeanor hate crime, they could they could restrict you from getting guns, but it says they can also take your guns away. Yeah. What's the legality of that? Because well, hate crimes can be it's a very loose de- if I decide not to do business with someone, that's that could be considered a hate crime. If I say something that's in opposition, that's now called a you know, you're a racist and you hate people. No, I just disagree. Well, you know what that's gonna require? That's gonna ha- require the courts to make a decision, and that's what the left is counting on. You know, the left is counting on doing something that is blatantly unconstitutional and waiting for the right to take it up the line and make sure that a court rules on it. In the meantime, they are the ones who are in charge and making all the rules. And we just saw the Supreme Court come down and say that uh, Gretchen Whitmer was wrong when she tried to close down Michigan and that Wolf was wrong in closing down Pennsylvania. And they're doing the same thing with this so-called hate crime. You know, I don't know if that's so unvague, constitutionally vague, that it's that it's impossible to really apply it. And unfortunately, if they make an arrest and they and there's a DA who prosecutes you, then you've got to go through the time, effort, and money of appealing it. You know, they have everything up their sleeve. It's like good old Nancy oof, saying, <laughs> "We have more more arrows in our quiver." You know. I've right. never seen anything like it. If anything, the Republicans need to learn how to fight the way the defendants do. The defendants, listen to me. The Democrats do. <laughs> uh, that those Freudians for sure. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I think Donald Trump, look, I've known the man for over 30 years. This is the kind of guy who goes in the lion's den and he comes out with a pelt over his shoulder and his tie straight and asks, where's the next den? 
I mean, right. he's incredible. And the Republicans should learn from him. They should learn how to fight instead of, you know, the uh, well, who's the Marquis of Queensbury, you know, everything all polite while they're there with shotguns and machetes. <laughs> all right. Eric has a quick question for you. Legacy question. And then uh, we'll be able to wrap this up. Go ahead, Eric, with a legacy question for Judge Jeanine. Yeah, so Judge Janine, when it's when it's all said and done, and you're looking back at your whole life, how do you want to be remembered? It's uh, an interesting question. No one's ever asked me that. I want to be remembered as the person who fought for the underdog. You know, as a prosecutor, I fought for, you know, battered women, started mm-hmm. the first unit in the nation, and abused children. And yeah. you know, my television career, I fight for the everyday American. Uh, who isn't part of the, you know, sophisticated uh, swamp in Washington, the people who work hard and pay their taxes. Yeah, I fight for the underdog. I always have and I always will. Love it. All right. And Love we can it. purchase right. the book at all finer bookstores, right? Especially online Amazon and all that, right? Yeah, don't lie to me and stop trying to steal your uh, our freedom. And here's the good news. There are footnotes all over it. So if you get in an argument with someone, go to the footnotes. I hate them, but I learned to do it in law school when I was on law review. So the yeah. footnotes give you an upper hand. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, it's not just an opinion. Here's, yeah. here's where I backed it up, right? Yep. Got the facts to back it. All right, guys. Perfect. All right, thanks. Okay. All right. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Judge. All right, see you. Thanks. Okay, guys. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensex Enterprise-level video management software, Perspective EMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit lensec.com. And now back to the show. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome to the program Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you? And I know that he speaks the truth that you'd like to speak out, right, Dave? This Our guest, especially the book. I, You're a huge fan of President Trump, we all know. And also you have some <laughs> the hard-hitting questions that we had a guest uh, last week we talked to that interviewed President Trump. Uh, but we won't mention that author's name, but we have a great guest today. So go ahead and introduce our guest. <laughs> Yes, uh, I, I think anyone who's a conservative knows who Pekseth is. Uh, he's on Fox and Friends. He's outspoken. He takes on companies like Gillette. I mean, the guy has no fear, and he's my hero. 
He's author of the upcoming book, American Crusade, Our Fight to Stay Free, A Real American Patriot. And he checked his genealogy, and his roots go way back to the Vikings. So <laughs> welcome to the show, Pete. Dave Neal, thank you so much. Honored to be here. Appreciate it. Awesome. All right, Dave, first question for Pete. Ours. Yeah, go ahead. So, Pete, um, first question, I mean, I got a million questions, but we'll just start with the uh, latest first, is why did you write this book? Now, I know that sounds like a stupid question, but not to everybody, so why did you write it? I wrote it because I think we're at a very consequential moment in our nation. The president has created space for for um, people who embrace Americanism, who love American nationalism, our, our, our nation, our freedoms, our first principles. He's created the space for us to fight and taught us how to fight. But his political election and hopefully re-election in 2020 is, is not enough alone to save our country. And I, what I want to remind people of is how far our culture and our education has been captured by leftists who reject the, the, the founding ideals of America, that our rights are endowed by a creator, not from a governor or a mayor, uh, and ultimately have been indoctrinating a generation or two worth of kids who come out not believing that America is a good place, that, that, uh, that, that what our founders gave us is not exceptional. That leads to the death of a republic, as history shows us time and time again. So crusade was chosen. It's a strong word intentionally because I think we need to have boldness. We have to be unafraid, unapologetic, and move not just into the – not just win in the political realm. I mean Trump's got to win in 2020, but go into our schools and our culture and be warriors who understand why what we have is special and that it is very much under assault right now. And then when you Amen. talk when you talk about under assault, uh, listening to the whole, let's talk schools really quickly because my background is a former teacher. And uh, why do you think? How do they get that going? Is it the teachers' unions that get that started? That that mindset to hate America in certain ways. Yeah, I mean, I think you've got they, they've been very effective in putting people in places of power to drive a particular ideological perspective. It started 100 years ago with progressivism, but ultimately really started to manifest in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, God was ripped out of schools um, and, and civics was replaced with social studies, which has its own social justice agenda. Uh, and, and it's over time, we've just sort of inevitably looked the other way or thought, okay, my, my public school's okay, or my, you know, it's a, it's only, that's, a, that's a rural problem or an urban problem or a rich problem or a poor problem. And it doesn't matter what government school your kids go to. And I'm not saying all teachers are bad or evil. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this is a curriculum issue. This is a, this is a pressure of teachers' unions. This is a pressure uh, of administrators who bow to political correctness because of what the elites will say about them or do to them. And then us as parents and grandparents suddenly look at the homework and the curriculum our kids are bringing home, and it, it has no connection to the civics and the history and the economics that we were taught as kids. And then we wonder why uh, you know, the types of things Comrade Cortez and – and uh, Bernie Sanders talk about resonate with kids. It's because they haven't been giving the basic ingredients to appreciate America. We are not defined by our sins as a country. We have moved past them together. But now we're at a point where we don't agree on the basics. And that's a really dangerous point and why I think we're at an existential moment. So education uh, has been a powerful tool of the left. And Lincoln once said the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation becomes the philosophy of government in the next. And if that indeed is true right now, we're in for a scary future. All right, Dave, next question. 
Uh, you know, America has really fallen asleep as far as I'm concerned, and we've been invaded by enemies from within. Socialism. And how did, how did we let this happen? And is there any hope to deliver a crushing defeat that will take these socialists 100 years to recover, these Democrats, whatever you want to call them? Well, look at what they're trying to do right now with COVID-19. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a preview of the type of state they want, of the type of control they want. And this book was written before COVID-19, but the subtitle of the book is Our Fight to Stay Free. Uh, and again, it comes back to education. It comes back to, you know, we're doomed to repeat history if we don't learn from it, if we don't understand that, you know, the, the, the failed ideologies that we've fought wars to defeat, like fascism, like communism and socialism are all leftist collectivist systems that reject the individual. And America was always premised on the individual's ability to strive and achieve based on individual freedom and equal justice, based on regardless of what your, your background is. And again, that was imperfect at the beginning, and we fought a civil war and a civil rights movement, and, and to this day are continuing to try to uh, make it a more perfect union. But when you have people within our country, leftists, who say, no, 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 no. America's been evil from the beginning, and capitalism is just exploitation. And it's ultimately going to be this socialist utopia where everything is free and everyone cooperates. To young, naive ears, that sounds attractive. And we're, we're, we're seeing more young people susceptible to that underneath also the blanket of political correctness and a media that does only the bidding of the left. Uh, you can start to see how the information war becomes one that's pretty slanted against truth in America. And then we're seeing that firsthand, as you talked about in COVID-19. And Dave, the concern I have in, uh, in this process is COVID-19 has taken away our freedoms, as Pete was talking about. But I, what I'm dealing with in Pennsylvania and you're dealing with in California is just a, a direct opposite to some parts of the country, Dave. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but maybe the silver lining is people look around and say, wait, in some of these other states like Florida and Texas, they seem to be able to figure out um, how to let people be free and make choices while also protecting the most vulnerable. And that's why I love a little bit of what we've seen in the last couple of weeks. I call it the revolt of the hairdressers and barbers and gym owners and restaurant owners who say, how dare you tell me that my business is not essential? And not trust me enough to know that I can be, you know, responsible about the virus in my business while Target uh, packs its aisles full of people waiting in football field sized lines going through the same register. Don't tell me that's abiding by public health, but I can't do it in my hair salon. So those, right. these are not necessarily overtly political people, but they're entrepreneurs and they're hardworking and they don't want a handout. And so they're starting to rebel and just open up anyway. And, and the giant caveat over the whole thing is if you don't want to go out, you don't have to. We all have a choice. So if you, if you believe you're more susceptible to the situation, then stay home. But let the rest of us go out uh, and earn a living so that, the, as the president says often, the cure is not worse than the virus itself. And that's a great yeah. – wow, Dave. Next question and, for and, Pete. And this gives me hope. Yeah. This gives me hope because these hairdressers and barbershop owners and, and whoever are not the kind of people who are usually outspoken politically. Uh, do you think that this next election will be uh, Reagan-like, 49 state victories, you know, uh, and that COVID-19 will be the nail that puts uh, the far left's coffin to rest? Well, I hope so. It could be. But, of course, they're going to do everything they can to prevent that. Mail-in ballots is, 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 
is a very dangerous idea that they're peddling, and the president is right to fight back against it. Of course, the so-called fact-checkers on social media from the Washington Post and the CNN, we know they're just naked leftists who hate the president. So there is a chance, as long as the election is fair, and along, you know, as long as this is handled well going into the fall. And it's going to be a tricky fall because you're going to see flu season. You might see an uptick. Governors are going to react differently. And hopefully the contrast of how, you know, pro-freedom governors handle the situation versus your Newsom's and your Cuomo's and your uh, what's that? What's her name up in Michigan? Uh, who are Whitmer, who are just locking their states down and saying, well, now we can't open till there's a cure. I mean, it's lunacy. So I, that may provide the kind of contrast where people say, hey, let's give Donald Trump a chance to revive our economy to what it was uh, because he's done it before. Dave, you're so right. I mean, this is craziness. What's going to happen? Well, Pete, before we promote how everyone needs to pick up the book, Dave has a really quick question. It's a, it's a great question. It's evolving caregiving and how he's devoted his life. And we wanted to, and we want to add you as one of the quotes to his possible book with celebrities mm. about caregiving. So, Dave, go ahead with a quick question. Yeah, so I've been a caregiver for 23 years now. My wife had a stroke, lost her speech, became paralyzed. We suffered through the grief process. And 23 years later, we're, we're fighting. We reinvented ourselves. We're traveling the country. We're helping uh, other caregivers stay alive since 30% of them actually die. I've spoken on 24 TV shows. I've spoken at Harvard, NASDAQ, all these places, just helping caregivers to understand that uh, they can also not only survive but thrive as a caregiver. So my question to you because I believe you're either going to become a caregiver, you're going to need a caregiver, and those escaping it. Mm -hmm. um, how has caregiving touched your life, Pete? Oh, my goodness. We, I mean, we're going through a little bit of it right now with, uh, with my wife's mother, and, you know, it's the ultimate decision of how you, how you handle and provide love to the people you love the most in, in a, you know, in a, in a, you know this better than I do. I mean, a system that uh, is different than the way many cultures care for other people uh, and so, I mean, it certainly hasn't touched my life the way it has yours, but I, I do think, and I've seen it more in the military context with military caregivers, with guys that come back, um, you know, without, le without legs or with post-traumatic stress or TBI and, and we need to highlight. So whatever you're, what you're doing with the book is what we need to highlight the, the depth of the task, how critically important it is. And frankly, the lack of resources and support caregivers often get because it's, it's the individual who is the focus, yet multiple lives are changed uh, in the process. So I salute you for what you're doing, and I know that on the caregiver side of the VA, because I've been involved in vets issues for years, okay. it is an underserved side of it, and I, but I think it all, it, all, um, it all comes together. Yeah, what you're doing with the VA, I'm doing with caregiving. My goal is to speak at the White House and the Congress one day just to help caregivers get the recognition that, uh, you know, the Alzheimer's Association has gotten because caregivers is like this tsunami coming. Nobody knows how bad things are. And if they all went on strike, this medical system would be bankrupt. And uh, that's entirely correct. Uh, and, and there are different ways that our politicians want to f reform or, or format our, our health care system, which would have a huge impact on it as well. So you're, you're right. The spotlight has to happen for uh, there to be a real catalyst for change. And so you check well, caregiverdave.com is my platform. Everybody go there. And if you don't know a caregiver, if you do know a caregiver, send them there. And thanks so much for the, uh, 
Absolutely, but, Pete. Where can we pick up the book? I know you got a quick. You got to get to the next thing. Uh, appreciate anywhere, the time. Anywhere books are sold, uh, PeteHexep.com. You can go to FoxNation.com to get a signed version as well. So lots of options. Well, Pete, I appreciate awesome. stopping by. Great conversation. We'll have to talk again. I appreciate you coming on the show. Love it. Thank right, you guys take, very take much. Care. See you guys. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Celebrity Slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Biden, are you on the line? I am, yes. Uh, so I'm excited to welcome the program, the president of Maverick Charter Schools, Frank Biden. Uh, Frank, thanks for calling, and uh, I'm very, very interested in how you got involved in education. Before we talk about Everly and stuff like that, <laughs> I wanted to know a little bit of how you got involved in education. Well, I come from a fam- all the brightest people in the Biden family are women, and they were all teachers. My sister <laughs> Valerie was a teacher and a principal. She's uh, a uh, uh, a Harvard fellow. My sister-in-law, Jill, my dear friend from college, she is a uh, she holds a doctoral degree in education and still teaches, even though she's been in the White House for eight years. Uh, she teaches at community college. My daughter Alana, who is uh, my hero, uh, graduated from Harvard and instead of taking the the, the uh, graduate school route right away, was with teach. For America, wow. and the list goes on. The beat goes on. So, uh, you know, I've always had a, an interest in in, in education and the mechanics of education, uh, and that's because as a kid, uh, until I was about eleven years old, I stuttered so badly I could hardly speak. Uh, oh my! And back in my yeah, back in my day, uh, a speech impediment was tantamount to being uh, a uh, not very bright. Uh, and where it may be true today that I'm not very bright, when I was a kid, I was very sharp, but uh, I simply couldn't. Uh, my parents, <clears throat> my brothers and sisters, um, took care of me and uh, assured me that I was, in fact, very capable, and I became an ardent reader, and that's what really pulled me out of that spiral in elementary school. So uh, I've always been, my heart's always been with the kid who's sort of behind the eight ball. And uh, it became clear to me that, uh, you know, our traditional systems, both parochial, private, public, uh, alternative public, uh, all of the, uh, the, the educational systems could use a boost, could use some help. And we need to find ways to help kids especially kids who are having difficulty find their way and achieve their dreams. That's how I became really, uh, really interested in uh, taking a, an active in, uh, in this whole educational process. I don't hold a PhD in education. I'm right. a 
uh, uh, I, I'm not quote an educator. I'm a uh, an entrepreneur and a policy guy who became deeply involved in in this entire issue, almost by accident. And it's, yeah, but see, but see, it's interesting, Frank, when you talk about entrepreneur and understanding school. I get in little fights sometimes with other teachers. I, I was a teacher for nine years do tutoring and consulting as an educational consultant and also have a social media and branding business. But when I talk to teachers nowadays, I talk about, you know, the success of I, as a tutor I have is based on competition. If I'm able to provide the best service possible for my client, I, I'm going to get more business and more opportunities. Our school system today needs to have competition. It needs to be to set the bar high for our students. So I think that's where Frank, you saw this is a place I need to be. Yeah, well, you know, I believe in in all of those principles. But you know what? I have great sympathy for the uh, the teacher, the everyday uh, woman and man who goes in and slugs it out in the public school system, and in many ways they feel besieged. They feel as right. though they're under fire and under duress. Uh, with the with the uh, humongous emphasis on testing, I know here in Florida uh, and elsewhere, uh, the teacher feels as though he or she can't really swing the bat fully, really deliver the way they yeah. could in the past. In addition to the fact that I think uh, teachers are uh, grossly underpaid, uh, for the most part, especially kids starting out, coming out of the blocks. Now, yes. I bet Alana was my. And Alana went to Harvard, graduated at the top of her class, and uh, you know, God bless her. She has her uh, her mother's and my sister and my sister-in-law's sense of social justice, and she went into this area of teaching not because it held any promise in terms of dollars and cents but because she felt a real pull and a real duty. I bet less than 1% of that graduating class at Harvard. Now, I don't know the statistic exactly, but I know a lot of her classmates. Most of them went to Wall yeah. Street. Most of them went to law school or med school. And God bless them. That, that's wonderful. Yeah. But how are we to attract the best and the brightest? Not that the, guy, that the people coming out of uh, college and going into teaching aren't terrifically bright and motivated, but if we had more of that, if we had more of an emphasis, if we had more of an incentive for those teachers, this debate, this red herring of a debate, right, between the yes. entrepreneurial spirit and competition uh, and teachers, quote-unquote, you know, the traditional teachers, wouldn't exist. It, wouldn't, it simply wouldn't exist. We would embrace all of the above. And that's what I'm about now. I've gotten off my soapbox choice and about competition, and I've tried right. to bend over backwards and understand the the teacher who feels that he or she is under siege. And, yes. And you know what? I'm getting a lot more converts by following my brother Joe's lead in terms of listening and having a great deal of empathy and compassion than I am lecturing. And, and that's so true. And and, I, and then touching upon what you talked about, we need our education system to get the brightest and best that could be doctors, lawyers, and engineers. We do have some, 
But but ultimately, Frank, we have to make it so it's an attractive position, not a position that uh-huh. is so challenging that you can't have success. Right, right, absolutely. And and here's the other thing: what is the thing that motivates most people of goodwill? And that is respect and admiration, huh? Yeah. My father, my dad was my. I adored my father, and and he was not. He didn't have the benefit of a college education, but my father's whole entire being directed us toward uh, getting that degree and 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 really uh, taking advantage of the education system. And and my father would always say, and especially in later years when I had ears to hear, you know the old Twain quote: "When I was 18, I couldn't believe how stupid my father was. When he was 21, I couldn't believe how much he had learned in three years." Well, that was me with my dad. And my father said, look, here's what your purpose is, buddy. Don't ever doubt it. Your purpose is to help people with less power than you have. Now, my father lived it. He was not a particularly wealthy guy. He was not a a, a particularly well-educated guy in the traditional sense, although he read a book a day. Right. My wow. father was driven by the sense of, of, of social uh, justice. Uh, they called him Big Joe in, in our little town of Wilmington, Delaware. When he died, 10,000 people showed up at his funeral. And the reason is, oh. is because my father was always extending himself. He was always listening and learning. And again, you know, we have a tendency to beatify people when they die. But in fact, my father was the embodiment of the principle of, of empathy and the necessity that we help educate and we help people who don't have as much as we have that we have. My nephew was the same way. Who's who's dead a year and a couple months. Bo Biden, who was the attorney general in Delaware, people adored him, not because he was, uh, you know, the son of the vice president, because Bo extended himself at every turn toward the kid, the family. The people didn't have the advantages he had. And, you know, again, it sounds a little bit corny. I know it does, but I'm of an age where I don't care whether I sound corny anymore. The truth is the truth. These people in my family always led the way for me because my natural instinct, I don't know about you, but my natural instinct is to want mine, want yours, and want the other guys too. (laughs) I am a go-getter, right? And unless I put something in front of me that's more important than that selfish self-interest, I'm left with, you know, a paucity of spirit. But if if I take a moment and I reflect and I really, you know, stop to think about what's important, all of my great satisfaction in my life has come from helping others. This whole Mavericks endeavor, and we'll get off this in a second, I, I really basically fell into when I came back from Nicaragua. I was with Hand in Hand Ministries after I left the Clinton administration. I came home because I got sick. I ran into a guy who was talking at a Starbucks about opening a school for underprivileged kids. My, my lawyer and my dear friend said at the time, please don't go over there and introduce yourself. And of course I did. And the rest is history. But the point is, my proudest achievement is is being part of 
this movement that has graduated 6,000 kids who otherwise would be on the street, who failed multiple times getting through high school, who were dropouts, who were the kids who were pegged to never make it. And it turns out not only do they make it, but they can make it in spades. And they are iconic kids in their neighborhoods. They are, you know, they really are. We were able to create the largest alternative high school system of its kind and the most successful. Uh, and that's why let me spin right into these two, two young men who are like sons to me, Michael and Mark with Everly. These guys have been at this since they were 19 years old. Wow. They're they're still young men, but out of their bedroom, and again, it's it's the old humble beginnings thing, huh? And, and, And great ideas born out of necessity. They had each other, but they didn't have a whole lot else. And they went through the public school system in, in Los Angeles, and they yeah. were swamped in terms of the numbers. Huh? And they understood yeah. clearly that they needed additional help. They went on to UCLA, and out of their bedroom, when they're 19 years old, they come up with the idea, hey, you know, there's so many kids like us who need additional help. Got a business. Now, there are not many people who are that prescient. There are not many people that are that on the ball. Uh, and it takes a special breed, and they are. But they did this out of a desire to help. This wasn't a dollar and cents motivation for them, although there's sure oh, heck wow. nothing wrong with that. Huh? Uh, you know, I'm a, yeah. I'm a capitalist to the core. Let's let's uh, there there's no uh, there there's no shame in creating a great business out of a great principled idea. In fact, yes. quite the opposite. They go hand in hand. Huh? Hand in hand. So, uh, and by the way, when I was in Nicaragua, El Salvador, Belize, and Honduras, that's what we taught through hand in hand ministries. We built houses, but we had labor from within the barrio. We built, oh wow, you know, hospitals, but we made sure that the local doctors and local folks were the contributors to its construction and ongoing maintenance. So, when people have skin in the game, hmm? Yes, they are highly motivated, and and are much much more likely to succeed in whatever endeavor it is. So, here's Michael and Mark. They start this yeah. out at 19. They grow this business into a uh, this touring business into a a nationwide deal. They've I yes. don't know how many thousands of people they've had go through their system. Successfully, I might add, we're not talking about something that, that stopped start or had a you know a brief period of success and then has faded into the into the uh, background. Quite the opposite. So they fine tune this thing and now they've come up with Everly. Everly is this on-demand system utilizing technology in a way that is, to my understanding, yeah. is unheard of. Hmm? You're going to match a yeah. tutor specifically with what your needs are. You're going to go online. You're going to ask a few questions. You're going to answer a few questions, and you're going to be directed to somebody who's not only qualified but is at the top of their game. What are the two motivating factors? One, the, t- the tutor wants to be there. Hmm? Yes. He or she has been selected through a rigorous process of vetting. And two, 
they begin a relationship one-on-one. And understand what I'm emphasizing here, relationship. Yes. Yes. The basis of all development is a lasting, intimate relationship. I may not know much, but I sure in heck know that. And this is that's what so that important. affords. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, that's the success I had one-on-one with my kids, the students I tutor, is there the relationship. Go. If the relationship's built, you have to have the content, but also the relationship. Now, how Absolutely. does that really work that it's on demand? It's an on-demand thing, as they were talking about the Uber for tutoring. Explain that more yeah. to me. It's very cool. You know, you go online, geteverly.com. So you just go online, and it will lead you through in a series of steps precisely how you engage. So it's very simple. You answer these questions. They direct you to a menu of a couple of qualified tutors. You then – Book the appointment, whether it's that day or the next day or the next week. Huh? And by the way, if people call in and they do this now uh, and they reference your radio show, they're going to get an hour free. They'll be able to put their toe in the water and find out whether it's for them. So Great. here's the deal. They then engage with the tutor. Typically, the tutor will come to the, the, the kid's home, and it's K through 12. So it could be kids, it could be a young adult, it could be adolescent, it could be somebody getting ready, you know, to take their SATs and really needs to bone up. But the deal is they come, they meet, whether it's at the Starbucks or at home, and the tutor takes them through a rigorous series of steps. And you know way more about this than I do because you were a tutor, you are yeah. a teacher. There's where the relationship starts. Then it costs 54 bucks. But here's the difference between – and that, don't get me wrong. That's a lot of money. huh? Yeah. So these are top-of-the-line people. And additionally, Everly, the company, Mark and Michael, they only take 19% of that dollar. I know from having been in this business for a long time yeah. that typically you're, it's a 50-50 split. So the money's going to the teacher. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Or, or, again, you would know better than I. But the, the teacher's motivated. We'll see results. The parent, when he or she swipes the credit card, will get a report after the engagement, not only a receipt for what's happened, but they'll get a report as to the child's progress. So each and every session, you'll have a, a marker for how well the child is doing. Now, what's important there? Look, every child is not going to progress like a rocket ship out of the blocks. Huh? We're not talking Usain right. Bolt here. Obviously, you wouldn't reach out for help if you were having an easy time of it. Some kids just need a little turn or an adjustment, and they're on their way. Right. But the way I view it, and again, you would know more about this than I do, what this, what this engages is a relationship that will develop over time where there will be specific markers and goals set and both the parent, the child, and the tutor will all be singing from the same song sheet. My experience in public education and parochial education, for that matter, is that oftentimes the confusion, what was it, Bacon, Thomas Bacon said, that assumption is the mother of all confusion is that we don't have a clear enough indication on a real-time basis of how that child is doing. 
And if everybody knows, everybody can pull their oars in the same direction. No one is in the dark. And what that does, I know for a kid like me who stuttered really badly and who had yeah. difficulty reading in front of a class, I was – I thank God I had parents and siblings who understood me. And my, my gold stars were given at home. Hmm? Everybody knew I wasn't stupid because I was, you know, I was reading Billy Budd at the age of nine, right? Right. But in school, I was thought to be quite different. Um, and my heart goes out to kids, kids like me, uh, like I was when I was a child. And we want to give those kids standing in a way that they know they're already a success. You know, I tell, tell my kids at Mavericks, and, and I'm, I'm slowly phasing out of Mavericks. I've got a, a large undertaking now called School Property Development. I've built 25 charter schools. We're going to take a, oh, wow. a program nationally called a P3 program where we're going to build traditional public schools with innovative ideas around it. So hopefully to, com- to completely eliminate that terrible divide between charter schools and traditional public schools. But anyway, I digress. The point is that what what we want to do is we want to show these kids by asking for help, they're already a success. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Oftentimes, yeah, absolutely. help equals uh, I'm stupid, I'm no good, I'm, and it's the opposite of what we want to encourage, and that is self-worth and confidence. So I, I think that's a, a huge point that we often yes. miss. I tell my kids at Mavericks, as I said, come in to register. Imagine you're 17, 18 years old. You've got six credits toward high school. Your future is not only bleak, it's dark. Huh? And you come in and you register and you think, oh, my God, again, again, I'm going to throw myself against the wall. Huh? And nobody's yeah. thinking you're going to be a wild success. And I sit them down and I say, hey, look, let me tell you something. You're already a success for having taken this seat. It takes a lot of guts to come in and pick yourself up when you've been knocked down several times and get up again and try again. If you notice my brother Joe's line, it's not a line. It's the way he lives. And, yeah. and he says it in virtually every speech. He said it's the measure of a man is not how many times he's been knocked down, but how quickly he or she gets up. Absolutely. Right? But one question, Frank, about the system. So the difference between other, like, in-home tutoring systems, Everly, again, their process of finding the tutors, but also the ability for the parents just to, with a click of the button. How long is that process so you can get a tutor out to the house? How long does that usually oh, take? Uh, overnight. 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 Wow. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's instantaneous. Uh, they've got a whole bench of of tutors. They've done the vetting process. They've they've done their homework here, and they've worked hard on this. They've been it, this is just being rolled out in November, uh, but they've been working on this for. They talked to me about this idea two years ago. So I'm so very proud of them. I, I really am. Uh, I I I. I look at these two guys, and I, anyway, they're more like 
sons to me than they are um, am I just sitting on a board. Gotcha. So. And so that I can see the motivation for sure, Frank. So they can work a week. Where can our listeners right now go to what website? Get Everly, capital G E T, capital E, lowercase V E R L Y, dot com. Everly.com. And once again, uh, it, it, <laughs> what's really kind of cool is that they'll, they'll give you an hour if they reference this, this radio show. Oh, I think they got some other deals. I, you know, I, I hope I, they do. I, it, it'll all be spelled yeah. out in that, in that, uh, on that website. But every parent owes it to themselves, whether your child is getting F's, D's, C's, or B's. If they're not knocking it out of the park, then they're probably not putting their foot all the way to the metal. I believe, I believe, now this, again, is going to sound really corny, but it's my experience, not my opinion. That's a big difference. Opinions are a dime a dozen. I've got a million of them, and I'll bore you all day long with them. My experience, (laughs) on the other hand, is what I've lived what I've seen, what I know to be true. It isn't a whole lot, but here's one thing I do know in terms of education. And had I, had I not seen this, and I, had I believed the, quote, educators, the experts, who told me when I first got involved with Mavericks, for example, that I was out of my mind taking on 15 to 22-year-olds who have sixth-grade reading levels because they were past the point of no return. They were irretrievable. Yes. Huh? Had, I, had, I, had I listened to them, or rather, more importantly, had I had their degree of expertise in terms of what the data tells us, I never would have opened Mavericks. But I didn't believe that. And so we went ahead and prized, I find, that every single one of the kids who sticks and stays, who's perseverant, and you have to encourage that perseverance. It doesn't come naturally after you've failed over and over again. It has to be encouraged and nurtured, watered, flowered. We have to hold yes. their hands. We have to, we have to love them for God's sake. Yes. And what I find is that in each one of these kids, there is genius. We. Yes. Again, I'm letting my Catholic theology shine through here, and I'm not That's a very great. good Catholic, and I'm not particularly God-centered, and I don't have any corner on the truth. But I do know this, that within each and every child, there is the spark of God, and that is the genius. And it's the teacher's privilege, privilege, to root that out, to find yeah. what that is. You know What's interesting in this whole conversation we've had, uh, Frank, is the, the what you've done in education, what your passion for education, your passion for Everly. But we, can, we already know the website we need to go to. Is there any place we can follow you too, Frank, about what you're doing? Well, you know I'm what? All this we're, stuff you're doing. We're going to be kicking off shortly this entire effort, and I hope to involve – Everybody knows, or lots of people involved in education know who Adrian Fenty is. He was the former mayor of Washington, D.C., was responsible for the educational leaps and bounds that occurred there. He brought in Michelle Reed. He was under a lot of fire, took a lot of heat for taking a lot of risk 
on behalf of children who were the most disadvantaged. And he and I are talking about launching a, a, a fund to uh, a 501c3 to fund innovative charter schools. His buddy, his, his girlfriend uh, has done, done that, and, and everybody knows who she is, and that's Lauren Jobs. Lauren has the Emerson Fund, where they're, in, where they're funding uh, five innovative high schools this year to the tune of $50 million. So what we want to do is we want to dig down, find out where the great ideas are, and make sure that people have the dough to implement them. That's great. How about that, Matt? I think competition. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's so important, Frank, to have the competition to allow the opportunities for innovative schools and to eliminate a lot of the red tape that public school teachers also have to deal with every day, so that teachers yeah. can be teachers and be able to motivate students because that's why they chose education and get the brightest and best in there and get teachers that love to do what they do and that's what you're trying to do and being involved in all the different yeah. things for sure, Frank. So I appreciate it. So there, we'll have to check in to, with you again to let me know what's hey, going on. Hey, you got my number education. now. Call me anytime, and uh, I'll hey, do hey, progress do reports. That. I'm sure we'll have a website up soon. In the meantime, uh, you know, uh, Frank Biden's pretty e- easily reachable. Uh, uh, I, I think Joey has his home number published, and so do I. So uh, well, anybody's you know, got a great Frank, idea. I need to get a conference uh, call with you and Joe at one point when Joe's done with his. As vice president, yep. love to get to talk yep. to him and Joe well, and everything. So we'll plug here. Joe, Joe is my hero. My my older brother is the best man I know. Forget about politics, but here's a guy who lives, breathes, and 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 is the embodiment of a you know a compassionate. We're all flawed. God knows I am, and he is, and and I, so I don't want to beatify him, but he is. The best man I know. Barack ain't bad either. Trust me. So, uh, okay. Okay. anyway, this All has right, been Frank. this has been really fun. Thanks for the forums and the platform. I look forward to meeting you. Okay, don't be I'd a stranger. It. I'm I'd in South Florida. You. I get out to L.A. quite a bit. All right. Okay. Sounds good, Frank. Good talking, man. All right. See ya. Bye bye. See ya. Okay. Bye bye. All right. That was the Total Celebrity Show. We'll be live in about three minutes.